0: Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is an episode of On Deeper Reflection. Today, we're going to go slightly off the standard track of medical or clinical podcasting to a little bit of psychological and philosophical diversions. This show is dedicated to my friend, Sarah Gray, who I recently found out was a psychology undergrad just like me. So Sarah, this show is for you, even though I think you're going to disagree with most of what I say, but we will get there. Now that brings me to the proviso for this show, which is I have a undergrad level knowledge of philosophy and psychology. That's what I spent most of my time in. And since then, I've read extensively, but I am not a professional psychologist and I am not a professional philosopher. So, a lot of things may be at a level below true expertise. And I'm dumbing down a lot of the concepts here solely for time constraints because to give this the full treatment it deserves would take about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine hours. And you're not going to be on board for that. So, if you say, you hear me say something, and you're like, that is stupidly naive, um, then it is either a result of the fact that you know something I don't, or I have made things simpler just for the ease of being able to talk about it in a 20-minute podcast. Okay, with that said, let's get to it. So we'll talk about three concepts, and they're all going to be related to your life in emergency medicine and critical care, but like I say, only tangentially. We'll talk about the first one in this episode, and then if you like this, then I'll talk about the other two in a second episode. So first of all, we're going to discuss free will, or the lack thereof. Now, every time I talk to people about this uh, in uh, bars and cocktail parties, uh, people just hang their head, and I think it's because it is kind of a mind-blowing concept no pun intended, and uh, it, it probably is not best suited to discussing with alcoholic beverages in hand, though that is the most enjoyable time for me to be having these conversations. But hopefully laying it out in this podcast will allow me a more elucidative exploration of what I'm actually talking about. We all feel, unless you've actually examined it closely, that we have free will, that we are in control of our destiny. And the free will we're really talking about, if we put it into philosophical terms, that I want to deal with today is the idea of libertarian free will. Now, this could be defined in many different ways, but I think the best definition is if everything was identical in the universe at the time any decision you make is being made, libertarian free will states that you could choose differently. Everything, right down to the quantum level, the same, and yet you can make a different choice. That is, if you believe in that, that would be libertarian free will. And um, there are definitely fringe people in the philosophical community that believe in this, but for the most part, I think it's fairly well established that this is bunk. Um, There's just no logical argument you can make for how Your actions are not determined. That if everything else was the same, you would make the same decision again and again and again. Now, this needs to be put in contradistinction to the idea of fatalism. Fatalism says that everything is 100% known from the beginning And it's just uh, a a movie being laid out. And the reasons fatalism are not true, first of all, include the fact that a lot of the things that happen in the universe are random. That there are what's called stochastic effects on a constant basis that slightly alter circumstances in an unpredictable way. And therefore, given that frozen moment of time, you have no choice but to make the decisions you make, uh, that you can't predict ahead of time what they will be because the actual milieu of the universe will be different at the time decisions are being made. Now, the best article I've found on these topics is a paper called The Lucretian Swerve, and it's by Anthony Cashmore. Uh, He's at University of Pennsylvania, and this article is just Fantastic, and I highly advise anyone who thinks this is interesting, these topics, to read this article. But he describes the three things that determine what decision we will make in any circumstance in the absence of libertarian free will. And those three criteria are your genes, the environment around you and inside you, and stochasticism again that being the randomness of the universe the inherent uncertainty of the physical properties of matter as he describes now because i know there are some theistic listeners to mcrit i will add one more to his list um which is the soul uh because this is often the argument made for the existence of libertarian free will Um, but i don't think it actually is an argument at all so let's let's Make these four categories of things that influence your decision, G-E-S-S. If all four of these were the same in any given circumstance, you would make the same decision. Now, why do we immediately rebel against this as an idea? Why is this so counterintuitive? Well, it's because we feel like we're making decisions on an everyday basis. Every minute, we feel like we're making decisions. But the first thing you need to conceptualize in order to understand why that feeling is not reflective of the inherent reality is, first of all, who is the we? Who is making decisions? You see, this is in the philosophical world called homunculizing the idea that there is a little woman or little man inside of us that is driving the body, that is pushing the brain, that there is some separate person at the wheel of the car. And so therefore, we feel like we are making decisions because this little homunculus is the one really making the decisions that's driving the brain, that's driving the body. This is the argument that on a subconscious level we are making to ourselves. But the question is, who is this little person? Who is this homunculus? And if there really was one, and obviously there's not, then who's driving the driver? Who's motivating the homunculus? What we're really talking about as the little woman or little man is our consciousness, is the feeling we have that there is a separate entity that is ourselves. But then the question arises, where does that come from? Well, we're all scientists if you're listening to MCRIT, and it's pretty obvious that at least well i would say definitively all but just for the sake of this argument we'll say at least some of that consciousness has to come from the meat consciousness is created by the brain it is a manifestation of the brain at at least you must argue a good part of it. And we have proof of this in so many different ways. The fact that brain damage significantly alters the consciousness, alters personality, alters who you think you are. Um, Other folks would point out split brain experiments where it could actually be demonstrated that there are two unique homunculi being generated uh, by the various areas of the brain. And it's just that we don't hear our non-dominant side very often. The fact that we could be influenced in all sorts of ways without any conscious awareness and have definitive Attributional change on our behavior, the fact that medications and external stimuli could radically alter our personality. So we have to at least accept that some of our consciousness is created by the meat. But I would go so far as to argue all of our consciousness is. And now, again, the theist will say, no, consciousness stems from the soul. But even if it did, and I don't think it does, but even if it did, That soul is simply another aspect that at any given moment, even if the soul is generating the consciousness, you still have no capability of changing where the soul lies at any given moment. Libertarian free will can't exist because there's nowhere for it to exist. We are the manifestation solely of our genes, our environment, The random effects of the universe, and if you want to add in a soul, that generate at that moment your consciousness that feels like it's deciding. Now, many of our decisions are done on a subconscious level, and therefore they surely have no capability for libertarian free will. But even the ones that you feel like you are making the decision the thing that is making the decision, the consciousness, is generated by those same determined factors. Now, there's a big school of people in philosophy that would argue that even though there is no such thing as libertarian free will, because like I say, almost everyone agrees to that, and I I would be very welcome to anyone who would argue against the idea that there is no libertarian free will. I'm super curious to hear your thoughts, but almost everyone in the philosophical community agrees libertarian free will doesn't exist, but these folks known as the compatibilists would say that free will, the way we think about it, the way that we are responsible for actions could still be compatible with the absence of libertarian free will, could still be compatible with determinism. Now, Those arguments go a little bit deeper into the weeds, and I'm not even sure they're beneficial because I really, really in my heart of hearts feel that most of those arguments between compatibilists and incompatibilists really come down to semantics. So where we are left is that we don't have any capability of altering our actions in any given moment. Now, you might say, well, if that was true, then why would we even bother thinking about things since everything is fated? But that is, again, the difference between fatalism and determinism. Your conscious ramblings are still necessary. That still makes a difference. It's just that your conscious ramblings come from a place that is also determined. You might say, well, then why have punishment? Why have laws? Why have any system where we attempt to change the behaviors of others? Well, because we can change the behaviors of others. We can't do so outside of our own determinism, but our behavior is the E, is the environment that is going to affect the the decisions of others. It's why we can have our system of laws with things like punishment and fines and imprisonment, because that will do two things. One, it will affect the future decisions of the person committing the crime, and it will also affect the decisions of others who may be now less likely to commit things society deems unacceptable because they've seen what happens to others. That is still the E. That is why we have a system of punishment. Now, why have I spoken about all this at length? What does this have to do with medicine? Well, we have a culture of blame and shame when mistakes are made our entire malpractice system in the United States is predicated on it and it is inherently bust now why do I say that why did I could I just say that punishment and a legal system still makes sense but the malpractice system doesn't that our culture of M&M blaming and shaming doesn't make sense well think about it this way let's look at an example driver winter night Icy roads, skids, and hits a poor pedestrian, killing him. If that driver had been pounding drinks beforehand, our legal system would prosecute and likely win for vehicular manslaughter. We blame the person. Because they were doing something avoidable that contributed to the accident. Now, did the person who was pounding drinks prior to then getting in the car actually have any libertarian free will in those actions? No, of course not. And yet, we punish them as if they were responsible, which is appropriate because we want to dissuade both this person and any people hearing about this situation from drinking and then getting into a car. This is what I call entity-based free will, meaning while the person inside themselves don't, we will treat them as an entity as if they had the ability to choose because as an entity they did. The compatibilists would say, That since there was no external forces making them drink before they got into that car, then that is compatible with free will from the perspective of moral responsibility. On the other hand, same driver, same winter night, same icy roads, but no drinking, well-maintained car, alert, slept well the night before, hits a pedestrian due to the icy road, We deem that an accident. The intent in both cases was the same. This driver did not want to kill this poor passerby. But from a societal level, the moral responsibility for things that we want to dissuade assigns a different level of responsibility. Let's think about medicine. You're treating a critically ill patient. You miss the diagnosis. In retrospect to the people reviewing the case, both from the legal perspective and the quality assurance perspective, the diagnosis was obvious in retrospect, as in all of the funnel aligning to the one thing that actually turned out to kill the patient. You could not, no matter what, have thought about that diagnosis, given who you were, the environment of the emergency department at the time, and the random nature of the universe. There's no possibility that given the exact same set of circumstances you were in, that that diagnosis would have come to you. That, I think, is inarguable. So then the question becomes, was that an accident, or was that the equivalent of vehicular manslaughter in the example we discussed previously? And I would argue... That if you did not come to work drunk and you were not out on a coffee break when you should have been taking care of your patients, that that is 100% the equivalency of the accident in that icy road example and not the vehicular manslaughter. Based on the ideas of libertarian free will, there is nothing you could have done differently, nothing And you can't beat yourself up about missing that case because you could not have not missed that case. Now, you might use that case as a spur to say, I'm going to learn more about a certain disease entity. But to look retrospectively and say you should have thought of that diagnosis is laughable. All of us practicing have gone through an enormous amount of training, an enormous amount of self-learning an enormous amount of on-the-job experience. If, for whatever reason, a diagnosis did not occur to you, then that is solely the result of all the other things going on at the time, the unique circumstances of the way the patient presented, the way they were talking, the other things going on in the department. There's no way to attribute a level of moral responsibility beyond accident, to a situation like that and yet everything is predisposed to blaming the individual as if they were driving drunk at the time they missed that diagnosis from the level of quality assurance at the hospital level and then the morbidity and mortality in your own department and then if you eventually get sued all of it Pretends that you could have done differently. Now, you might argue, well, no, this is again the entity based punishment. We're going to punish that doctor so that he or she does not do it again. But that is not how these things occur. We all have a genuine desire, I think. I mean, it would be very surprising to me to meet someone without a genuine desire to help our patients, to get patients better, to find the diagnosis. On the other hand, if because of racism or some form of discrimination, you did not give a patient good care, then that is perhaps at the level of the vehicular of manslaughter or that should actually be deemed murder. That is anathema. But that's not what even a tiny fraction of these circumstances are. You cannot beat yourself up. You cannot go back and do differently. You can only learn from your mistakes and they should be deemed an accident They should be deemed a systems-based failure. Because a good doc had this occur, then what can we do at a systems level? All punishment and blame should be at a systems level, not the level of an individual, unless they did something horrendous, like come high to their jobs. All right, I hope this is not too far astray from what you want to hear. If this is something you like, please, you need to comment on this particular episode and let me know you like it, in which case I will do a second episode with the other two concepts I want to discuss, naive reality and the fundamental attribution error. Um, And these are both super interesting to me and super related to what we do every day in resuscitation, but I'm not going to do it unless you tell me that you like hearing this stuff, that this is not too far afield from standard MCRIT fare. Let me know what you think. Scott Weingart for the On Deeper Reflection podcast saying bye-bye. Hey there, On Deeper Reflection listeners. Before I disappear, in addition to podcasting, I am a physician and clinician performance coach. And that means I work with clients to deal with issues of burnout, to deal with issues of not being as happy as they'd like at their job. But also on the positive side, I work with people that are already performing at an amazing level, but they want to increase their productivity, their performance, their joy in life, their what we call eudaimonia, their flourishing. And so from all these different bents in a wide variety of possible situations, uh, I could work with you to make your life better. If that sounds interesting, if that sounds appealing, if it sounds like something that would make your life better, both in your job and outside it, then get in touch at mcrit.org slash coach. That's E-M-C-R-I-T dot slash coach. And that'll take you to the page where you'll see all the variety of coaching that I offer and how to take the next step to make your life better. So mcrit, E-M-C-R-I-T dot slash coach. Bye. Bye.